90.7. WTCC, welcome to the spoken word. 413-736-2781. So, a jury acquitted a white former police officer on Friday in the fatal shooting of uh, uh, an unarmed black teenager as he was fleeing a high-stakes traffic stop outside Pittsburgh. It was a confrontation that was captured on video, led to weeks of unrest. Captured on video. And, 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 And we're getting used to this whole thing of black people being murdered on video. You know, Gil Scott Heron said way back in the 60s, the revolution would not be televised. He had no idea that some point down the line, everybody would have a cell phone with a camera on it and that the revolution actually will be televised. But as much as we talk about the need for body cams, Uh, cameras on the cruisers and all of that to keep police from lying, it really doesn't matter. Because even when they're caught on video, they still are either never prosecuted or acquitted if they are. That somehow, some way, If you choke a black man like Eric Garner to death right before our very eyes, they can still come out with the result that the cops didn't do anything wrong. Like what America saw ain't what they saw. It's like this whole thing with Trump, with with, um, Attorney General Barr basically saying, He's not going to charge Trump with obstruction of justice because there's not enough evidence, even though he obstructed justice in plain view of the American people. I mean, he was tweeting out obstruction. (laughs) I mean, it's all on his Twitter feed, uh, intimidating folk and admitting that he obstructed justice, admitting I fired Comey because of the Russia thing. It's on video him saying that he obstructed justice. But they want us to believe that what we've seen and heard is not what we've seen and heard. How do you trust a justice system that tells you that, yeah, we know what you saw, but it ain't what you saw is what we say. So shot this boy on video. Officer Michael Rosefell was charged in the rare occurrence. Rarely are they charged, but he was actually charged, okay, for killing Antoine Rose. Last June, he was riding in an unlicensed taxi that had been involved in a drive-by shooting minutes earlier, okay? Now, get it now, the taxi was involved in the shooting. Uh, Antoine didn't have nothing to do with that. 
He don't know if the taxi license or not. He's catching the taxi. All right. Rosefield pulls the car over, shoots the 17 year old in the back and the side of his face as he ran away. 12 person jury saw the video which showed him falling to the ground after being hit. And in less than four hours of deliberation, they acquitted the officer. It's just over and over and over again. We have to deal with this. And yes, his death spurred angry protests, um, which it should. And, and it's it's like, how long do y'all think black people can take this? How long do you think we can sit here with you telling us, let justice take its course and justice lets us down Every time. Well, it's not justice. It's injustice. You know, I I, I call it the American injustice system. Because we can't seem to ever get. And then, then, you know, what ticks me off is when they know the likely result is that another white police officer is going to get away with murdering yet another black person. Everybody begs for calm. Now, let's just be calm. Let's just be calm. Why do black folk always got to be calm? Why, why, Why is it that, you know, we murder your sons and daughters. Then the justice system, the injustice system in America allows us to get away with what I call legalized lynchings. And you just need to be calm when the verdict is right. We don't want you Negroes, you know, getting all riled up just because the injustice system continues to let us get away with murder. No, we don't want to be calm all the time. Jesus wasn't calm all the time. There was a time he was flipping tables over. Now let them start murdering your sons and daughters and then walking home to eat dinner with their family after and never being convicted and being put back on the force. And we'll see how calm y'all will be. We're tired of being calm and telling just to grit our teeth and bear and stomach the murder. it's, It's like this whole notion of black people needing to just get over slavery and Jim Crow and, and all of that. Yet, y'all, y'all talk about never forget the Revolutionary War. Never forget the Civil War. Never forget the Holocaust. Never forget 
9-11. But when it comes to slavery and the dehumanization of black people over the last 400 years, get over it. We always have to get over our pain. We always have to get over our trauma. But you all get to relive yours over and over again, year after year, uh, commemoration after commemoration. Always remembering it, never forgetting it. But we're always supposed to suppress, get over and not react to the trauma that black people have to deal with in this nation every single day. We're tired of getting over stuff. Tired of it. This guy, this cop that killed Stefan, Antoine rather, um, had literally only been sworn in hours before he murdered this kid. He had went to the police academy. He was only working for the force for a few weeks. And then when he officially was sworn in a few hours after being sworn in and finally getting on the streets as a cop, he used lethal force. Killed somebody his first day on the job. He acted as judge, jury, and executioner. And the video clearly showed that there was no threat. But he's walking free now, y'all. He's walking free. And black people are being told once again, get over it. Oh, boy. How long this madness? How long do we have to deal with it? Joe Biden has not announced yet that he's running for president. But they're already floating the idea of making Stacey Abrams um, the, um, the running mate. And, you know, I find that quite interesting, especially in light of the fact that um, she supposedly was thinking about whether or not she wanted to run. And so basically they're determining what she should do. that she should take a second fiddle to Joe Biden and be happy with that um, and not consider running herself, which is, you know, typically what they do with black folk and black women in particular. Um, um, yeah, you know, it, 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 I mean, it says something about her leadership that they would consider her, but you got to wonder, are they just floating that idea just to try to solidify black voters who are really torn in terms of this election 
there's a rising movement in the black community around the issue of reparations. And it has become a serious policy discussion among particularly Democratic candidates. Uh, Bernie Sanders is totally against reparations. Um, um, uh, Elizabeth Warren has talked about supporting a study of reparations, as has Kamala Harris. And, um, and there's a group that's saying either we have a solid um, policy on reparations or we're not voting for the Democratic nominee. And some say that that's undermining the Democratic Party and letting Trump back in office. But are we not to challenge the Democratic Party to finally come up with an agenda that includes issues that are uh, pertinent to black people? Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Good morning, Bishop Swan. Bishop Swan, before anybody think about voting for Biden, look up his 1994 crime bill. Thank you. All right. Thank you for your call. Definitely involved in the crime bill. Um, signed by Bill Clinton. Um, uh, agreed. 413 736 2781. Biden is trying to appeal. He's 76 years old. He's trying to appeal to younger people. He's trying to prove he's not just some old white guy who's out of touch. So he needs something or somebody to lift his campaign. And they figured getting a younger black woman who's 30 something years younger than him um, and who came within 55,000 votes of winning the Georgia governor's race as the first black woman to be a major party's gubernatorial nominee um, in that state. Um, And and she's emerging as one of the rising stars of the party. Um, uh, But at what point do we stop with the tokenism of black people? Um, You know, uh, I think the Democratic Party is in trouble, quite honestly. Uh, in this upcoming election. I think they're in big trouble uh, because here, here, here's, here's my take. When it comes to issues that affect black people, they're always encapsulated in these all-inclusive policies. And what they typically tell us is, well, if we do this about jobs, if we do this about the economy, if we do this about criminal justice reform, if we do that, it's going to benefit black people. So you all have to settle for these all-inclusive policies, you know, because a rising tide lifts all boats. But nobody ever wants to take the risk to say, here's a specific policy geared to benefit black people. Now, they don't have that problem when it comes to other demographics. They don't have any issues with saying this is specifically for the LGBT community. This is specifically for the Jewish community. This is specifically for the elderly. This is specifically for women. This is specifically for the Native American community, or this is specific for Latinos. But for some reason, they have an issue with promulgating any policy that specifically 
targets black people because they don't want to piss off moderate or right-wing white folk who may be inclined to lean Democratic uh, because if if I say something is specifically going to benefit black folk, I'm going to turn off that audience. So we'll water down anything that has to do with black people. And quite frankly, black people are tired of it. Tired of it. We're tired of you being able to talk specifically to every other community, every other demographic in the nation, and always telling us, just wait until after we take the White House back from the Republicans, and then we'll talk about your issues. And black folk are saying, like Miss Sophia uh, said, you, you know, when old boy asked him if she wanted to be Miss Millie's driver, hell no. Mm. No. No, we want to know, like Janet said, what you going to do for us? What have you done for us lately? And so this conversation is going on saying, hey, and and, and there's critique on both sides. So you've got folks that are saying reparations or you gets no vote. Black agenda or you gets no vote. And if Trump gets back in office, oh, well, we've dealt with Trump before. Y'all tripping over Trump. Black folk live through Trumps all the time. And there's some merit to that conversation. Trump is not an an anomaly when it comes to black people. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Good morning, caller. I have a question. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Go ahead. All right. So. You know, I often hear a lot of talk on the radio regarding uh, politics and, you know, Trump and all of these things and black folks are being um, directed to vote and, you know, participate in this system. Now, why do we do that? Why do we waste our time on what they call politics? Why are we wasting our time, you know, even talking about uh, getting, you know, politicians to do something specific for black people because according to Paul Anderson, like he said, that um, you know, he used to be a politician and one thing that he learned is that it is against their law to be race specific about agendas once you get into office. So why do we they're race they're race they're racist they're race specific and demographic specific about their policies all the time. Right, but there's but but you can't even when they don't even when they don't say it even when they don't say it. But if you promulgate a policy that is going to help a certain demographic, and ninety eight percent of that demographic is white, basically you promulgated a policy right. to help white people, not, even if you don't say it. Not a problem, and that's and I'm I'm agreeing with you. But here's what I'm saying: Why do we waste our time with that knowing? When a white man goes into office, and most of us, right, we're foolish to be going vote, which is stupid because you only have two parties to vote for, which is white and white. And even if you get a black man in there, he's a black white man who's worried about keeping his job. So here's what I'm saying. Why do we waste our time with that? Why do we waste our time worried about the white folks are doing the right thing? What's your, what, what's your alternative? What, 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 what's your alternative? What's the alternative? Let me finish 
alternative is stop getting white folks and black folks to worry themselves with what white folks are doing because white folks are doing their job when they get into office they're right so 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 should we ignore so should so so should we hey hey, man hold up hold up you on my show now okay we can have a conversation but you know i'm i'm gonna be able to talk um uh my question is so are you suggesting that black folks should just ignore what happens in politics you know we should just twiddle our thumbs and allow white folks to have the whole kit and caboodle and have no say so at all Uh, you, you, you can't say that, man. You can't cuss on the show. Um, um, no, I don't agree with that. Uh, I, I, I agree um, that we ought to be smart in terms of our vote. I believe we ought to hold politicians accountable. Uh, I do not believe um, that that we just sit on our hands and uh, ignore the political system. Um, the reality is politics influences everything that happens in your life the amount of lead you can drink in your water the amount of taxes you pay on your property how often you have to get your license renewed how much rubber gets put in your sneaker everything you you're not alive until a politician signs your birth certificate you're not technically dead until a politician signs your death certificate and politics influences everything in between life and death it would be completely ignorant for us to just sit on our hands and not be involved in the political system at all so i i can't buy into that good morning caller you're on the air Brother, you cussing on my show, brother. You can't call here cussing, man. We not, we ain't having a conversation in the bar. Brother, brother, bro, uh, hold up, brother, 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 listen. We can sing together. We not going to talk at the same time, okay? Now, you can cuss in the barbershop or wherever else they allow you, but, you know, there's certain FCC rules and stuff and, and station rules that I have to abide by, and I can't allow you just to say whatever on the show. Now, you've had your time. We'll let somebody else chime in on the conversation. 413-736-2781. 413-736-2781. Um, now... Does that mean we vote third party? Does that mean we create our own party? Does that mean we force Democrats to do something by registering as Republicans? Um, There's all kinds of ways you can address this. There's all kinds of ways you can put pressure. And and the reason why I focus on Democrats is because over 90-something percent of our votes goes to them, so they owe us. To whom much is given, much is required. And so we can put requirements on a party that depends on our vote. They can't get into office without the black vote. That's reality. And so if they don't have a black agenda and they're not addressing the needs and concerns of black people, then, you know... We can't be so scared of Trump that we just go along with the status quo. You know, and I know people will criticize and say, well, if you vote third party, you're just giving it to Trump. Listen, we, we've dealt with him before. He ain't nothing new. He ain't nothing new. 
Having a racist Republican in office ain't nothing new. Black people are resilient. We've dealt with it. We know how to deal with it. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Yes, sir. I just like to say to that last irate caller, if the people of Alabama would have took your advice, then Roy Moore would have won the election. So we need to vote. We need to exercise our power to slap in the face to the people who died and went through all the things that they went to go through to vote. And I just wanted to say we vote because of a voting rights right act. Is that correct? Absolutely, and 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 a voting rights act that that only got signed because of blood, sweat, and tears, and a voting rights act that basically has been neutered by the Supreme Court and the Congress since since 2013, and the Congress has yet to come up with a, a, another formula for the enforcement part of the voting rights act. Right now, there's no enforcement. And whenever the act expires, whoever's the sitting president, usually for political reasons, will sign it. But an act is not a law, so we need to do in 2020 push for the law, not and give and abolish this act. That's all I gotta say. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your call. Good morning, caller. Good morning. You're on the air. Yes. Good morning. Uh, I just want to kind of weigh in on uh, the individual that um, was just uh, talking to you about voting and like that. And you know, a lot of times. Um, these other side of people want, you know, black people to be thinking that way. And I, I don't know where this individual got off at because obviously the way that it sounds, uh, this guy don't vote anyway. So, I mean, he's just taking uh, everybody's word about the way things should go or is going. And uh, he's taking it as, as word and not doing anything about it. But uh, me and a lot of other people out here, unless we do vote, unless we follow that system that's already set, there's nothing going to happen because... You spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago about that um, basically worldwide systemic racism, and and it's there. So in order for us to get out of that or do something about it, uh, we are the ones that have to put pressure on those different systems that you just spoke of uh, to make things uh, come up to a change. And we got to have these people hold them accountable for if we put them into office, no matter which side we vote on, I mean, that's our prerogative, but we have to hold these people you know, uh, right to the fire is to doing uh, what we put them in there for. So I just want to kind of lay that out there, and uh, people need to, to start voting. And whoever you vote for, uh, I'm in Springfield right here now, and who the person that I vote for is just about guaranteed each session that I vote for me in there. I'm going to go and find out what you're doing. And if, if you're not doing what I think you should be doing that I voted for, I'm going to have a lot of questions for you. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your call, 413-736-2781. we got to ask ourselves, you know, the, this whole resistance movement rose up um, in 2016 after Trump was elected. we got to ask ourselves exactly what's being resisted. Um, and, you know, people talk about his racism, his xenophobic views, his erratic and questionable behavior, um, corruption of the administration, his overall incompetence. Um, you know, they, they give a number of reasons as to why they joined the resistance. And and I guess for me, you know, I'm wondering why so many so-called progressives and liberals were oblivious to the realities of racism and white supremacy in America 
before Trump's election. Like y'all wasn't part of no resistance before he got elected. It, it, it's like his it's like his election was like this wake up call for them. But structural racism, bigotry, xenophobia, all of that stuff that you say comes with Trump was alive and well and thriving in America before he got elected. This this is not new. And black people have always known this. This isn't the new norm. This has always been the norm in America. I mean, from our arrival in America, African-Americans have always challenged racism and discrimination in every facet of life. But you've got this resistance now, this this ubiquitous term for anything that is anti-Trump, you know, um, but it ignores the tradition of black people to protest and resist that long preceded Trump's election. Um, and these resistors are content to avoid, ignore, excuse, or justify the social ills of state-sanctioned violence by police, legalized lynchings uh, of unarmed blacks, and the gross disparities in the criminal justice system as long as their chosen political party is in office. So as long as the Democrats in office, all of these liberal resistors are cool with all of the social inequities that they're now resisting. Isn't that amazing? Um, um, they were, you know, nobody was tripping when George Daddy Bush was pushing a racist war on drugs. There was no resistance then. There was no resistance when Bill Clinton was championing welfare reform legislation that removed tens of thousands of black children from the welfare roles endangering their lives. There was no resistance when, uh, as a caller talked about earlier, the crime bill written by Joe Biden signed by Bill Clinton, when the Clinton crime bill cemented the rise of a privatized prison industrial complex through the mass incarceration of black people. Where was y'all resistance then? And there's so many anti-Trump resistors who were content to sit there on the sidelines and watch this whole creation of a hashtag generation. Hashtag Trayvon Martin. Hashtag Michael Brown. Hashtag Eric Garner. Hashtag Sandra Bland. Hashtag Ricky Boyd. Hashtag Antoine Rose. And so many others. They were content to sit on the sideline while the climate of racial hatred and division in America sparked the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement and a new generation of black activists. But as long as the Democrats were in power, there was no need to resist. And so I asked this question, um, an article I wrote recently for uh, the North Star. I asked the question, what was so magical about Trump's racism? that ignited the fire of activism under the backsides of so many white folks who sat 
comfortably on the love seat of complacency and the lazy boy of apathy for years before the orange commander-in-chief took the reins of government. Hmm? What was it? What was so magical about his racism that we had never seen before? Only difference is he was more in your face about it. He was... He, he, the only difference is that Trump was going to be a racist and appeal to folk that felt empowered by his racism. While the other races that you all have elected kept theirs in the background. It was so his in your face confrontational style, his brash political rhetoric. That's what causes you consternation, because at the end of the day, he ain't that much different than a whole lot of the other white presidents that came before him. When you really, really think about it, he ain't that much different. He might be crude and disgusting in his behavior, but his presidency is not the cause of the racial crisis in America. It's the culmination of centuries of structural racism. All right? Um, we've seen it all before. Y'all say, well, he colluded with Russia. Ronald Reagan colluded with Iran in the whole Iran-Contra thing. Right? Y'all say, well, Trump wants to deport immigrants. He separates children from their parents. Yeah. Clinton deported 12 million. Bush deported 10 million. Even Obama deported 5 million. <laughs> uh, you know, Trump coddles races. He calls Nazis very fine people. He calls African nations assholes and black athletes sons of bees. That's true. But Reagan referred to black women as Cadillac driving welfare queens. Sound about the same to me. You know, he referred to, Reagan referred to black men as strapping bucks, buying T-bone steaks with food stamps. What's the difference between him and Trump? Think about it. Yeah, Trump is obscene. He's obnoxious. He's racist. He's a liar. But we can't just allow his tone to make us think this is the worst thing black folk have ever faced in American history. No, because we've been here before. Whether it was Clinton and his crime bill, which caused the mass incarceration of black people, whether it was Reagan calling black women welfare queens, all that. We've been here. We've lived through Trump by a different name. So the reality is if we get four more years of Trump, black folk going to roll through it. We're going to get through it. It ain't going to be the end of the world. And I don't necessarily think that the Democratic strategy of vote for us or you'll get another Trump should be their calling card. 
Their calling card should be vote for us because we have an agenda that is going to benefit black people and speak to the concerns of black people, not wait until we get into office and then we'll talk about your agenda. So y'all got some work to do, Democrats, because there's a generation of black folk that are not buying into the lesser of two evil arguments anymore. And don't try to scare them with Trump is the boogeyman and vote for us because, you know, what's the lesser of two evil? You asking us to choose between Satan and Lucifer? I mean, come on. I got to get out your way. <laughs> Cynthia Butler's in the studio. She's coming up next with Mid-Morning Jazz. Great black music. Uh, want to invite you. Oh, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow at 6 p.m. Come out to the uh, monthly meeting of the Greater Springfield NAACP. We will be having a public forum with police commissioner, acting police commissioner Cheryl Claprood. You got any questions? We've had some missing young men in the city. We've had some police incidents that we all got questions about. She's going to be the guest at the uh, monthly membership meeting of the Greater Springfield NAACP. It'll be at the Spring of Hope Church of God in Christ, 35 Alden Street at 6 p.m. So come out so you can have your voice heard. I got to get out your way. Till the next time I talk to you and you talk to me, always remember God loves you. And so do I.